This morning's scripture reading is from Galatians 4, starting in verse 8. Uh, if you need a Bible, you didn't bring one, there's one in the seat back in front of you, and you're welcome to take that home with you if you need one at home. Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at, at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, but not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, guys. My name is Dan, and I am one of the pastors here at Park Church. Um, I take care of operations and a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, so you don't see me up here a lot. Um, but in any case, thanks for being here this morning. Um, I wanted to make a, a confession, um, which is that I do love Volkswagen vans. Um, a couple weeks ago, Brian gave me a hard time up here about this um, kind of unexplainable infatuation I have with Volkswagen vans, um, and basically everything he said was true. I have no defense. Um, I'm pretty practical in every way except for my love for this very unreliable vehicle. So um, Brian kind of described this a couple weeks ago, but when he was talking about, about this, my, my van was actually in the shop. Um, I since got it out, and now it's broken down again in front of my house. So um, in any case, to that end, uh, and just to kind of give Brian a hard time, I'm going to try to incorporate as many Volkswagen van Eurovan references in this sermon as I can, so just be prepared for that. But let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into Galatians. Uh, Lord, first we confess that um, we need you this morning. Lord, I need you to speak through me. Um, I pray that um, you'd speak your words and uh, not mine this morning. And Lord, I pray that we would uh, learn from Paul, learn from um, this book of Galatians, um, that we would um, find our hope, find our rest in you, in the righteousness that comes from Christ and not from ourselves or anything we could do. Um, so Lord, again, be with us. Lead, lead me, lead us. Help us to see you more clearly this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I'm going to start by, um, I guess, kind of dating myself by mentioning or referencing a movie that came out when I was in college. One of my favorite movies, which is The Matrix. And so I want to first ask, how many of you guys have seen The Matrix? Hopefully most. Okay, good. Most of you have. 
I'll still set it up a little bit. Um, but The Matrix is a sci-fi movie, which I, I do also admit that I love sci-fi. And um, it's set a couple hundred years in the future after this war between the humans and the machines that the humans created, a typical sci-fi you know, kind of plot line. Um, the, the machines had won this war, and they've enslaved all the humans. So basically, they've, they've taken the humans, they've um, kind of plugged them into their system, and they use the humans for their energy. Um, and the, the interesting thing about that is that the humans don't know that they're, they're actually enslaved. They don't know they're, they're held captive by the machines because the machines have basically um, kind of put in their minds this thing called the Matrix, which is like a virtual world um, that looks just like this world that we live in today. So they kind of live normal lives thinking that they're, they're free, but in reality they're living in slavery. And then there's this one character named Cypher. And throughout the movie, he is trying, he's actually been freed from the slavery, and so he lives in the real world now. Um, but he hates the real world. He lives, they live underground, they're always running, kind of fighting these machines. It's cold, it's dark, the food isn't very good. And so throughout the movie, he does whatever he can do. Um, betrays his friends, uh, he, uh, you know, um, does whatever he can to try to get plugged back into the state of slavery. Um, he works with the machines to try to, um, to get them to plug him back in, to kind of... Um, so he can check out, not be a part of the real world, and live in slavery again. And this is, basically, I brought this up because as I was studying Galatians, as I was looking at Galatians 4, I couldn't get the matrix out of my head because this, this is the picture Paul is painting for us in Galatians, this idea of a world full of people living in slavery, yet completely unaware of their slavery, um, unaware uh, that they're in bondage, going about their, their lives as normal, going to work, spending time with family, spending time with friends, doing all the things that we like to do, um, yet unaware that they're actually living in sin, or excuse me, in slavery. He says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And he, he describes this as slavery to weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. And Brian last week did a great job of explaining what these weak and worthless elementary principles are. And I'll give you the short version. Um, basically, what Paul is talking about here are idols. Um, the Galatians had them. They had idols. We have our idols as well. Um, in the ancient world, it played out a little differently. Um, they actually gave proper names to their idols. They had all these different gods that they, they would worship, try to appease. And so they had God, the god of war, the god of marriage and childbirth, the god of um, commerce. They had dozens and dozens of gods. And so whatever they were doing, whatever you were pursuing in life, um, you would basically try to make sacrifices, try to appease whatever God was over that. So if you were going to war, you would try to make sacrifices to the God of war so he would look kindly upon you and bless your efforts. If you were having kids or getting married, you would make sacrifices to the God of marriage or children. If you were planting crops, you'd do the same to the God of agriculture. So like Brian talked about, maybe you would throw a party, you would slaughter an animal, you would do whatever you thought you needed to do to try to appease this God so he would look kindly upon you. And so in our day, we don't necessarily give our gods proper names like they did, um, but we have, uh, we have gods just the same, and the sacrifices are very similar. So we have the god of success, the god of comfort, the god of leisure, the god of marriage, the god of children, the god of respect, the god of power, the god of wealth. Um, you can go on and on. And we'll do whatever, whatever we need to do to appease these gods um, in order to get what we want. And then even as Christians who claim to worship the one true god, um, we, we twist our understanding of God to, to fall in line with these ancient practices. So we, we try to appease God. We try to bargain with God. Um, when things go wrong in our life, 
when um, maybe we have a job that we hate or we get fired from our job or we're in a tough marriage or we have a child that gets sick or our Volkswagen Eurovan goes into the shop again. Um, we get angry and we, we say to God, maybe, maybe consciously we, we do this or maybe it's, it's even subconsciously, we say, why are you doing this to me? I've been faithful to you. I've prayed to you. Um, I've sacrificed for you. Now why are you making my life hard? And so we prove that we, we treat God, the one true God, like these ancient gods. Paul acknowledges in verse 8 that the Galatians have been freed from slavery to these gods. We learn in chapter 3 that they were freed by adoption, um, that in faith they've become children of God. And just as a side note, I want to um, kind of touch on this misun- a common misunderstanding of what it means to be a child of God that uh, I think that we have. Um, the New Testament's all too clear that we become children of God by adoption, um, not creation. That we're not born as children of God, but we're adopted into his family by the will of the Father. And so we see this in John 8, we see it in Romans 8, we see it in Galatians chapter 3, and we see it here again in Galatians chapter 4, in verse 4, uh, where it says, God sent forth his Son to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So again, we were adopted by God. Um, we didn't adopt him. We didn't choose to let God into our lives. God chose to adopt us into his family. And Paul emphasizes this in verse 9, where he says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. So it's kind of like he's correcting himself mid-sentence there. And he's not saying that we don't know God, but he's trying to emphasize the order here, saying that God pursues us, God chooses us, God adopts us, not the other way around. So much in the same way that I, I found, I chose, I purchased my Eurovan, God pr- purchases us as well. Sorry. <laughs> All right. There's more to come, so just get ready. They're going to keep coming. But Megan and I have two kids right now, um, which we're really thankful for. Um, and we're, we are really excited to adopt another child or two in the future, in a couple years. Our, that's been our hope and our plan from before we had any kids was to um, try to have a couple of our own and then try to adopt one or two. Um, and, uh, and Lord willing, I'm really excited one day to be able to sit down with, with an adopted child and maybe before they even understand what I'm saying and tell them, we, we have adopted you, we have chosen you, um, that you are ours, you are now ours, that out of all the kids we could have chosen, we chose you and have adopted you into our family. Um, John Piper has this really cool video um, that I've seen it, and it's on, on adoption, basically blurring the lines between this idea of spiritual adoption with the Father and adoption here on earth. And he starts out by saying that adoption is greater than the universe um, because it was before the universe. And then he uses Ephesians 1 to kind of play this out, where it says in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world, in love, God predestined us unto adoption through Christ Jesus, according to the counsel of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. There's a ton of stuff there, and we could spend probably a month working through that. But I'll try to, I'll try to kind of break it down in about 30 seconds here. Um, but just to emphasize, he says, before the foundation of the world, we were predestined unto adoption. So before the world, in love, God adopted, or adoption has its origin, that is. Um, it, was, it was God's idea. Um, he created the world so that there would be a place and a people uh, that he could adopt. And so when God was thinking about uh, what kind of world, what kind of universe he wanted to create, um, what was centrally driving him 
was how can I create a universe in which my grace would be most beautifully displayed, right? And his answer was that I'll predestine people for adoption. So this was God's plan from the beginning. And it wasn't an afterthought. God wasn't scrambling to figure out how he could save these people who weren't originally his. Um, but he decided from before the foundation of the world that adoption would be part of the plan. And so John Piper's kind of point, one of his points in this video is, um, therefore, why would we not want to be a part of this in our lives? Why would we not want to adopt children into our family and reflect um, the way that God has adopted us into his family? And I love how God uses kind of normal things such as marriage to display his, his love between Christ and the church um, to the world. And he uses adoption in the same way, this kind of fairly normal thing that a lot of people do. Um, God uses it as a way to proclaim his goodness, the way he loves us, the way he adopts us to the world. So we see in chapter 3 of Galatians that God has justified us. Um, he's freed us from slavery to sin and to the law. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. But that's not all Christ has done for us. It's not all the Father has done for us. Paul then goes on to describe how God adopts us into his family, which, we, which is why we can call him Father. And so we've got justification and then adoption. Now justification, we talk a lot about. <clears throat> it's, it's at the center of our faith, right? Without, without justification, by grace alone, we're by faith alone, through grace alone and Christ alone, then we're still left um, as slaves. We're still left in our sin. But if that's all that God does for us, if God justifies us, frees us from, from slavery, but then doesn't adopt us, we're still left as orphans. So God not only justifies us, but he also adopts us into his family. And so Brian has, over the past few weeks, described this courtroom scene of God the judge um, declaring us righteous, declaring us justified, declaring us innocent. Um, but fortunately, God doesn't just declare us innocent and then send us off in the world to kind of um, figure everything out on our own. Um, the same judge who declares us innocent, who, who declares us as justified, also calls us as his children. He, he adopts us into his, his family and says, you are now mine. And so remembering all these things that we've been justified, we've been adopted. Now, Paul says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? So I can imagine Paul's frustration here um, after explaining, being a part, being in the lives of these, these Galatians, them turning back. Um, You've been adopted into God's family. You've been declared justified, clothed with Christ's righteousness. You've been made heirs with Christ. God no longer sees your junk. He no longer sees your imperfections. He sees you as he sees Christ in all the ways that Christ is perfect. Right? He looks upon you with love, with joy, with, with perfect fatherly affection and approval. So how can you now turn back to a system of trying to appease God, trying to earn favor before God, a system that says that if I can do the right things or make the right, right sacrifices, then God will accept me or bless me. God has already accepted those who trust in Christ. Why would you try to continue to earn something that's already yours? About six weeks ago, um, Megan and I bought our 2002 Volkswagen Eurovan. Um, we, uh, after lots of research and you know obsessing, I found the, the perfect Eurovan up in Boulder at this dealer. It had been traded in. And so um, 
It was, you know, it was the right color. It was silver. It had the pop top, which is really cool. The pop-up table inside, the rear-facing second row. It's, it's my, dream, my dream car. So I find it, you know, and so Megan and I go up there. We look at it. It's, it's a really good price, and so we couldn't, couldn't pass it up. So we trade in my 2000 Volkswagen Eurovan that didn't have the pop top. And um, we trade it in. We pay the difference. We sign the paperwork. We get the title. It's a done deal, right? So this van is now ours, and I'm, I'm the happiest guy in the world. Um, <clears throat> just imagine this next week if I called up that, that dealership and said, you know that 2002 Eurovan that you guys sold me about six weeks ago? Um, I, that's, that's my dream van. I really, really want that to be mine. What, what can I do to make that van mine? Can I send you guys a few thousand dollars more just to make sure it's mine? Um, to which the guy would probably say, no, that's not really how it works. You, guys, you, own, you own the car. You own the van. It's, it's yours. You have the title. I'd say, I know I, know I, I know I own it, but I really just want to make sure that I own it. So can I just maybe set up like a payment plan and send you guys like $100 a month for the next few years? Or maybe I could come up to the dealer and maybe detail some cars, clean some, you know, do whatever work you guys need up there just to make sure this car is mine. Um, to which he would probably say, you're an idiot. Stop calling me. Um, this, this van is yours. You own it. You possess it. It belongs to you. Stop trying to pay me for something that's already yours. And so we see parallels here, right? The differences with our justification and our adoption is that we didn't pay for them to begin with, right? They were free gifts from God, so we didn't even have to pay for them up front, um, which is probably why it's hard for us to accept that they're ours, that they actually belong to us, that we possess them. Um, as Christians, because we didn't pay for them. God paid for them for us. And so we constantly fight to, to slide or constantly want to slide back into this idea of paying for something that's already ours. In verse 12, then Paul tells us, after uh, exposing this problem with Galatians, this falling back into idol worship, he tells them to become as I am, for I have become as you are. My first thought when I read this was, that's a little arrogant, um, but then my second thought was, well, what's he talking about? Paul actually is a great example for us in a lot of different areas. And so what specifically is he saying to emulate? Paul's an example throughout the New Testament of, you know, sacrificial living, of commitment to the mission, of, uh, of uh, all kinds of stuff, eternal perspective. And so what, what exactly is he calling us to imitate? It makes it clear in the statement. He says, Become, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. So how has Paul become like the Galatians? Anyone? So Paul's become like the Galatians in that he's become like a Gentile. So Paul has this, you know, this Jewish pedigree, right? He's been circumcised. He was a Pharisee. He, um, you know, lived according to the law. Um, he has all, all these things that he was very proud of before Christ, but he's cast them all off. He says, these are all um, worthless to me. I count them all as loss. And now he finds his identity solely in Jesus and what's been accomplished for him in Christ. So he's telling the Galatians, become as I am, become like a Gentile again. You guys were Gentiles to begin with. Now you're wanting to become Jews. You're wanting to become like I was before Christ. So he's telling them, I became like you. I became a Gentile. I Cast off, I denied all these worldly things that I took pride in. Now you should do the same. He says, stop trusting the law. Stop trusting in special days and seasons and months and years. Stop wandering back into slavery to idols, um, thinking that you can appease this God that we worship. And then for the next few verses, Paul doesn't chastise them, but he pleads with them. 
as their, as their friend, as their pastor. He reminds them of their time together, um, how they loved one another, how they served one another when he was there. And then everything climaxes in verse 19 when Paul says that he's in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. And this is the central point that Paul is trying to get across to the Galatians and really the central aspect or point of this text we're looking at today, um, that he wants Christ to be formed in them. He's not merely going for obedience. These false teachers were obsessed with obedience, right? What Paul's going for in a sense is the opposite of obedience, which I don't mean disobedience by that, but I mean faith, faith that God and Jesus had already done everything for them. So these teachers who were leading the Galatians astray were teaching this kind of subtle but very destructive heresy, this destructive false teaching, um, which was trust in Jesus, obey the law, and God will save you, versus the, the gospel message that Paul first taught them, which was trust in Jesus, God will save you, and transform your heart, then you will obey him. So it's, it's the same three elements, just kind of swapped around. Very subtle difference, but Paul says this difference means everything. So faith plus obedience equals salvation versus faith plus salvation equals obedience. Paul tells us when we fall into this, this lie, this false teaching of trusting in Jesus, obeying the law, and then God will save us, um, we prove that we don't trust in Jesus at all, but we're only trusting in ourselves, which is slavery. <clears throat> and the practical implications of this truth are unlimited. So Paul's desire for the Galatians was that Christ would be formed in them, that they would be transformed by Christ, um, and then the implications of that would, would play themselves out. And so what's your desire for the people that you love? What's your desire for the people in your gospel community, or for your husband or wife, or for your children, or for your friends? Um, is it that they would, they would change their behavior to live rightly? Um, or is it that Christ would be formed in them and would transform them from the inside out? So, if and when we ever get to go camping in my Eurovan, um, I'm sure that I'll have a lot of Eurovan rules. Brian talked about this with his, his son and, and his bow and arrow last week, but I'm sure when we go camping, I'll tell Ben, my son, who's a little crazy, that he can't, you know, stand on the armrests or put his muddy feet on the seats or leave his sister up in the pop top or... He loves to sit in the front seat and like, pretend like he's driving, but inevitably he always flips every switch and turns the windshield wipers on and the hazard lights, and so when you get in the car, it's just crazy, it's chaos the next day, or it's dead because the lights were left on or something. So um, you can sit in the front seat and pretend like you're driving, but don't touch all the dash you know, dials. Um, but ultimately, is my goal that my son would be obedient to me? I do want him to be obedient, but, but ultimately my goal is that Ben would have a transformed heart and that he would become a kid or an adult um, that not only is obedient to the law, but desires to do what's good, um, that knows what's right and desires to do that. This last Thursday morning, we were uh, praying here at the church. We pray on Thursday mornings at 6.30. Um, you guys are welcome to join us. And we were praying for our church <clears throat> that we would be a people who um, who love one another well, who take care of one another in the church, who are welcoming to new people, who love our neighbors and um, you know, invite them over to dinner, who serve in our city. And kind of halfway through this, um, us praying about this, I was struck by this, this thought of what are we actually praying for here? Are we praying for these outward actions that we would actually 
We're praying that we would be people who do these things, who actually you know, take meals to, to people in need in the church, who love one another practically, who talk to new people when they come in, who invite neighbors over for dinner, who serve in the city. Or were we praying that God would transform our hearts and make us a people who actually love one another, who actually care about one another, who actually care about the city. And then the implications of that, the actions, will come, right? If we're a people who, uh, who actually have love in our hearts, then we will love other people practically. Um, so my hope is that we were praying for the second, that God would actually transform us, not just that he would make us look like people who love one another. Um, transformation never comes uh, from the, the outside in. It always has to come from the outside out. No one's transformed by changing their outward behavior. Um, so controlling the outward obedience of your kids, of your friends, of your husband or wife, of people in your, your gospel community um, will never cause, will never, never lead to a transformed heart. It'll just lead to, to lives that look like um, they've been transformed, but maybe they have, maybe they haven't. In verse 17, for the first time in this book, we see the motivation of these false teachers. This circumcision party that Paul keeps talking about. Uh, we see that they aren't just mistaken in their theology. They, don't just, they haven't just kind of uh, accidentally twisted things a little bit because of just misunderstanding something and now they're teaching a false truth. Um, but they're actually intentionally distorting the gospel uh, for specific reasons, and namely that they would be made much of. Verse 17 says, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. We'll see this again in chapter 6 where Paul tells us that uh, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So these false teachers are catering to the pride and the desire uh, for for self-reliance that's still still in in the hearts of these believers in Galatia. Um, They're distorting the gospel for selfish reasons, um, for their own glory, for their own pride, and they would be looked good at as, as holy, as obedient. And they're making much of the Galatians by telling them that you can do this as well. You can please God. Be circumcised. Obey the law. And then God will see this. Everyone around you will see it. They'll see that you're something special, that you're good, that you're not like the sinners and the lawbreakers out there. <clears throat> I try to fool myself, I think, often into thinking that I wouldn't be susceptible to this kind of teaching, that I'm um, not too worried about what other people think about me, that I'm you know, a confident guy, and um, not too worried about the approval of men or women. Um, but just in this last week, as I've been kind of thinking about that concept, I've been reminded over and over how much I depend on the approval of man. Um, even in preparing to, to get up here and speak, just the anxiety that I feel proves that I really care about what you guys think about me, right? I desperately want the approval of, of all of you. Um, yeah, I was also reminded of this a couple weeks ago. Megan and I uh, bought some pumpkins for Halloween. And um, so one day, one, one evening, um, they had been sitting on our porch. We decided, okay, it's time for pumpkin carving. So we grab a couple of the best pumpkins, bring them inside, um, and we start, start carving. Megan, as a good Sooner fan, she decides to, to carve an OU into her pumpkin. And so her and Ben kind of get started on that one. Ben wanted to help me with mine, but I wouldn't let him because I didn't want him to mess it up. Seriously. <laughs> so um, I had this idea. Actually, I got it from Josh and Eliza Falls to um, not, just, not just carve some kind of you know, lame design in the front of my pumpkin, but to make the whole pumpkin into a Volkswagen van. And so, um, <laughs> so 
we get going carving, you know, we're digging them out, doing all the work. Megan and Ben finish theirs in about 45 minutes, and I'm just getting started on mine, right? So Megan puts, puts Ben to bed at that point. She, you know, an hour or so later, she goes to bed, and I'm still working, you know, frantically on mine. I've got a pencil, I'm like drawing out perfectly everything that I'm going to carve before I even carve it. Um, so about midnight, I finish it up. I've got like, you know, it's got windows all the way around. Actually, I, I built a pop top into it, like a <laughs> functional pop top. Um, I spent a lot of time on the, the Volkswagen emblem on the front. It's just this perfect, beautiful Volkswagen emblem, you know. So I get done, and I'm just completely pleased with myself. And so the first thing I do is take a picture of it, and then you guys can probably guess, what do I do? Instagram, yes. So Instagram is uh, it's kind of like Twitter for, you know, for photos. So I take a really cool picture of it, um, showing the pop top, you know, and then post it to Instagram and go to bed because it was late. Um, but then the next morning... I wake up, and of course, the first thing I do is pull out my phone and check Instagram and, uh, to see what people had you know, said about my, my pumpkin. And um, so I look, and there are already a few comments, and you know, a bunch of people had already liked it, so I felt really good about myself. And then throughout the day, about once an hour, I would pull out my phone excitedly, like checking Instagram, not to see what anyone else had posted about you know, any other pictures, but I wanted to see what they had posted about my, my uh, you know, beautiful creation. And so every time someone would say, you know, that's, that's amazing, Dan, you're such a great pumpkin carver, or, you know, I'd get more likes. I think by the end of the day, I had like 47 likes and 18 comments, and each one of those just, you know, kind of puffed up my pride. Uh, and I felt, you know, like, yeah, I really am a great pumpkin carver. <laughs> I'm glad people are finally realizing this. Um, but it just exposed in me. I mean, and I knew I, throughout the day, I knew I was doing this. I knew that I was just, it was just feeding my pride, and I couldn't help but just checking my phone and... Um, you know, and just seeing what people had written. Um, But it just showed me that I I really care about what people think, even with something as stupid or insignificant as a pumpkin carving. Um, I was working as a graphic designer before before moving here, and I I realized at one point that... um, I didn't, even, I didn't even recognize that I'd been kind of thriving on the praise of men, of people, you know, commenting on how great, you know, this design was or, uh, you know, whatever it was, um, until I, it, was, it was gone, until it stopped. For, for whatever reason, at one point I stopped kind of getting this praise, and I'd, I hadn't even realized that I'd been kind of thriving on this for the, you know, couple years before then, and once it was gone, it was kind of like it, it hurt deep inside, right? It was like I was on a drug um, that was just kind of maintaining me, and as soon as the drug was gone... Um, I felt this like twinge of why aren't people approving of, of my design anymore? Um, so in any case, I think this is what makes the law so appetizing for all of us. Um, and I think that you guys probably aren't too different than me as much as you want to admit that you don't really care about what people think. I think we all do. Um, and so, so again, this is what makes the law appetizing, that it's something we can accomplish, it's something we can do, it's something that people can notice. It's a bar we can achieve um, and make much of ourselves because of that, and hope that other people, and even God, will make much of us um, because of that as well. So the law was intended to show us our lack of perfection, right? It was intended to show us our need for a Savior. Um, but our hearts have twisted the law. Uh, we try to use it as something to, to help justify ourselves, to make much of ourselves, which is exactly what we're seeing happen here with these false teachers. And so these teachers most likely aren't themselves turning back into slavery, um, they were probably never freed from slavery in the first place. Yet they're calling the Galatians, they're trying to pull the Galatians back to where they are. Back to the system of works, of appeasing God, trying to appease God. Back to this idea that they still need to justify themselves. 
they forget that, um, trying to convince the Galatians that, um, to forget that they, they already wear the righteousness of Christ. And so what is it for you? What do you, uh, in what ways are you tempted to turn back into slavery? Um, in what ways do you self-justify? What do you take pride in? Um, what, God, what gods do you worship and sacrifice to? I'm sure it's different for each person in here, um, but I'm also confident that for every one of us, there's a tendency to fall back into um, this type of idol worship. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus before, um, but this is the same message that we all need to hear whether you have or haven't trusted Jesus. We need to hear the same message from Paul. Um, So I want to plead with you guys as I plead with myself as Paul pleaded with these Galatians um, to put on Christ and put off all other gods. Be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And this is a beautiful picture that Brian played out, that we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. He no longer sees our junk or our righteousness. Um, He sees only what Christ has done for us. So trust in that. Be clothed with Christ's righteousness. Believe that you are already clothed in his righteousness and stop returning um, to the slavery of self-justification, of trying to appease God's of seeking fulfillment anywhere um, but in Christ. So if you do trust in Christ, then God has justified you. He has adopted you into his family. So rest in that. Um, Rest in the fact that we are God's. We belong to him. We no no longer need to um, try to purchase something that's already ours. So rest in the freedom that the gospel brings.